Good morning. I just want to open us with a verse this morning. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, we know that you are love, and you have called us to love you and to love our neighbor. And Lord, this can be very difficult at times, but as you have this message for us this morning, we just pray that you would teach us to love. Show us what that love looks like as we study your word and we seek to follow you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, New Life Fellowship. My name is Aaron Koonsman. I'm a teaching pastor here, and I'm filling in as our senior pastor, Nathan Detweiler. He's away on a mission trip this week, um, and he'll be back just before next Sunday. But while he is in, in Bosnia and in Germany, he's working on some things with our denomination to help um, us as a denomination, as the Christian Missionary Alliance, figure out how we can best be serving God and serving others um, in the world amidst all the, the different types of refugee crises that are going on around the world. So he's kind of working on that on behalf of the denomination and also on behalf of New Life Fellowship. So we can look forward to what he can come back and share with us when he is back. I think he'll be sharing a little bit next Sunday. Um, but just please keep him in prayer as he continues to be away for the rest of this week. Um, so this week and next week, uh, myself and Jason Harmon are going to be filling in and giving us the message that God has for us as a congregation. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be looking in the book of Romans. Um, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and the ushers can give you one. If you look in one of these Bibles, the, uh, the page we're going to be starting with is page number 920. So it's 920. Romans chapter 13. And as uh, the ushers are passing those out, I just want to read you a story. Two women were having coffee one Saturday morning. One woman, Alice, sips her coffee quietly and asks a little sheepishly her friend a question that's been bothering her for the past several months. Maggie, she says, I've noticed that whenever I see you in church service, you're wearing a headscarf over your hair. Alice pauses for a moment, a little uncomfortable. You and I have been spending a lot of time together lately, but you don't seem to wear a headscarf on any other occasion. I was wondering if there was a particular reason you wear one in church. Well, Maggie smiles a little bit. Yes, she responds. There is a reason I wear a headscarf in church. I believe that scripture commands women to cover their heads as a sign of submission to God and pastors and elders while they're at church service. And I also think that scripture commands men to, to not wear any sort of a hat or, or a covering in service, also as their sign of respect to God. Well, Alice looks at her a little bit puzzled and asks, but wasn't wearing a head covering a, a cultural thing from the early church? I mean, almost no women wear hats anymore, not even in very conservative congregations. Well, that's a common misunderstanding, says Maggie, although it may be unintentional. I think most women are actually being disobedient to what the Bible clearly teaches. So, you think I'm being disobedient, asks Alice, a little shocked. Maggie just kind of stares down at her coffee, not saying anything, and, and the two sit in an uncomfortable silence. Now, this story 
could end in several different ways, okay? The, the, the two friends could leave the coffee shop, they could never speak of this again and uncomfortably avoid each other over the next months and years ahead. Alice always thinking that Maggie is being a little bit legalistic and a bit ignorant of scripture when she's uh, looking into these sorts of things. And, and Maggie might think that Alice is perhaps kind of a, a worldly Christian because rather than doing what she thinks scripture says she should do, she's more interested in her own comfort. The story could end with the, the two of these women opening a Bible and trying to convince each other of their position, perhaps successfully, but perhaps more likely unsuccessfully. They might agree to disagree, being convinced of the sincerity of the other's convictions, or they might agree to disagree, still believing that the other is not really following God the way that they should. And by example, they may be leading others down a, a dangerous road of something that's either sinful or something that's down the road of legalism. Well, what does God tell us to do in these sorts of situations? Situations where strong opinions clash about aspects of the Christian faith that are perhaps a bit more peripheral, okay? You know those things that they're not the core central doctrines, they're not the core practices of Christianity, not central to the faith, yet they, they may be written about in our Bibles in, in some manner. Well, how are Christians to deal with each other when we encounter these types of situations? And this is a difficulty I think that we can all identify with in some aspect. And it's the message that God has for us this morning. Now, I normally don't title my messages. I just say, okay, the message is whatever verses we're, we're going to be going through. But this morning I'm titling the message, Love Does No Harm to a Neighbor. Love Does No Harm to a Neighbor. And that may not be the catchiest title, but hey, it's straight from Scripture, so I got that. So, um, so we're going to start reading from Romans uh, chapter 13, verse 8. And we're going to read all the way through to Romans 15, verse 7. And I'm going to read through this whole passage, and you can follow along. I'm just going to make a few comments along the way, but then we're going to go back and revisit this stuff in a lot more detail. So starting at uh, Romans 13, verse 8. It says, no, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So Paul here is placing an emphasis on the, the second greatest commandment, which Jesus spoke about, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as I've titled this message, love does no harm to a neighbor. So continuing in verse 11. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ 
and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul is calling the Romans in this little section here, and of course this does apply to us also, he's calling the Romans to flee from the dark deeds of sin and pursue the things of God. And there's plenty that can be dug into this little section here, but it's really not our emphasis for today, but I just wanted to touch on that briefly. So let's continue chapter 14, verse one. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now this verse is actually something that's very important to keep in mind because it's actually gonna be key to what we're talking about this morning. As we're discussing how do we deal with other Christians, how do we deal in our relationships when we have different opinions about some of those disputable things, some of those arguable things that we disagree with each other on. It's actually kind of interesting that scripture itself is saying that there are gonna be some things we disagree on. Even amongst faithful Christians, there are gonna be some things we just have disagreements about. Now, I wanna point out that there, are many things, that there are many things that we can argue about, okay, that may be questionable and may be a matter of conviction. There's also plenty in Christianity that we can't argue about, stuff that's just there, and this is what we are called to do, very clearly from scripture. So there's plenty of indisputable things within our faith. For example, many of the key elements of Christian doctrine, such as the divinity of Christ, the oneness of God, and the resurrection, these are all indisputable things, very clear in scripture, not really things that, that Christians argue with each other about. And there are also things that are indisputable um, that are aspects of Christian living, okay? And these are some of the things we actually just read about in that little passage in Romans. Things like where it says that we're to flee from drunkenness and sexual immorality or dissension, okay? So these are all things, they're not really things to argue about, this is just what all Christians are, are called to do. So, so these are some indisputable things. So there's plenty of that in there. But this is really not the focus for this morning. The focus of the message that we're gonna be talking about is how to effectively love each other even while we disagree on those things that are disputable that perhaps Christians have a variety of different opinions on when it comes to living out the Christian faith. These again are the matters of, of strong personal conviction and are a matter of different scriptural interpretation that you will see a, a wide variety of perspectives and opinions within the Christian family. Not doctrines or practices that are considered core or central, and, and really how we would deal with those things is, is an entirely different sermon, and it's not something that we're gonna be talking about this morning. So let's continue in uh, chapter 14, verse two. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So really quick here, we got one example of something that is, is disputable. In this case, it is a question of, of eating vegetables or, or only eating vegetables versus being able to eat whatever you want. And we're gonna revisit that uh, example shortly here. Continuing at verse five. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. 
Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So again, another example of something that was being discussed, being disputed amongst Christians in the early church. And this is a matter of holding certain days as being sacred while, while others thought, well, hey, every, every day is essentially the same. And um, again, we're going to revisit these in a little bit more detail uh, once we're through with this section of Scripture. So continuing in uh, chapter 14, verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know to be good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. So here again, Paul is speaking about not passing judgment or causing others to stumble, Important, important factors, again, that we're going to revisit in just a little bit as we are approaching this idea of how to have fellowship with other Christians um, in relation to these disputable matters. Verse 19. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fail. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourselves and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So we have a calling here to do what leads to peace amongst Christians. We're also called to be obedient to our consciences and make sure that we're understanding what our convictions are. And essentially, we are to follow our convictions on what is right and wrong. This is the last section here. Uh, Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, 
so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice we may glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So this last section here, called to bear with one another, build each other up, so that we're united and may give glory to Christ. So there's a lot of stuff here. It's a, it's a big section of scripture to, to cover. Um, and I would actually dare to say that for, for most of us probably in this room, this, a lot of this material is, is pretty challenging when it comes to application. And I know for me it definitely is challenging because I think that all Christians at least have some room for growth in this area. So with the time that we have this morning, as we are seeking to follow the, the biblical command to love our neighbor as ourselves, I'd like to give you three ways that scripture shows us how love does no harm to our neighbor. And this is specifically in the situations where two or more Christians disagree on disputable matters of the faith. So three ways that love does no harm to a neighbor. For those of you who love three-point sermons, got a three-point sermon this morning. So. Uh, love does no harm to a neighbor. So point one, love does no harm to a neighbor by not passing judgment on our neighbor. It says in Romans 14, verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? In the example that was just given in verses 2 and 3 in that section, which we read about earlier, was this example about some people were eating pretty much anything they wanted, and other people were restricting their diet to just vegetables, so they weren't eating any meat. And this is uh, likely referring to the disagreements that were occurring in the, in the early church over some of the, the dietary requirements in the Jewish law. And th there are other parts of scripture that talk about different types of disagreement with relation to diet. There are parts of scripture that talk about whether or not people can eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh, we have passages of scripture that talk about whether or not people can consume blood. But as, as the Gentiles were coming into, this, into the church and you had Christians who were both Jewish and who were also not Jewish, who were Gentiles, these disagreements about what we can eat and what we can't eat were really starting to, to show themselves. So this passage is, is likely talking about this general dietary, do we have to eat kosher? Can we, can we eat whatever we want kind of discussions? It says this in uh, verse three, in Romans 14, verse three, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So in other words, the guy who, you know, sincerely believes, sincerely believes that he can eat whatever he wants. There's no restriction. He can eat whatever he wants. He should not look at the, the other person who is feeling like, you know, he can't eat pork. He can't eat these different types of food. The guy who feels like he can eat everything shouldn't look at that other person and think, that guy's just, he's just ignorant. He doesn't understand scripture. Um, he's, he's being legalistic. That shouldn't be the attitude. And, and the guy who feels like, hey, you know, I, I really can't eat this, that, or whatever, he shouldn't be looking at the guy who can eat everything and thinking, that guy is just a, a worldly Christian, okay, who's immature in their faith because they just are kind of doing whatever they want. 
Now, this probably doesn't seem very controversial because this is not something that we really talk about you know, amongst Christians today because most of us really would, it, would probably agree with Paul's perspective that we have freedom to eat whatever we want. But to a largely Jewish Christian audience in the time of the early church, the idea that it would be acceptable for some Christians to not maintain the kosher diet would have been extremely controversial. But love does no harm to a neighbor by not passing judgment on our neighbor when we follow our convictions. And, and I think we can all, again, recognize from our experience how harmful this type of judgment can be. And we may very well be on both sides at some point in our lives. We may have been on the judging side or, or receiving the judgment. And either way, it can be very harmful when it comes to these disputable matters. But what does Scripture call us to do? What does Scripture say that we're supposed to be doing? Because it doesn't say that we all have to believe the same thing. It doesn't say we all have to have the exact same convictions. Rather, with regard to the example here of people disagreeing on sacred days, that was the second example of something that was disputed in the early church. In verse 5, in chapter 14, verse 5, it says, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So this is not like someone saying, you know, I, I really like meat, and God likes me, therefore God must want me to eat meat. Okay, that's not the type of situation. What this is, is somebody who's coming along, who's reading scripture, who's praying to God, okay, and they arrive at a, a place where they can say, I'm free to eat meat because of what scripture says here, here, and here. You know, they, they, they have an example from scripture, and they have prayed to God about this. So whether we engage in one of the disputable activities or not, you know, whatever they are, we're, we're not to pass judgment on our neighbor, okay? But also recognizing that we are to be fully convinced in our own minds. Paul states this later on in verse 14, in, in uh, chapter 14 of Romans. He, he says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. So Paul, okay, he was, a, he, was a, he was a Jewish man, very knowledgeable about the law, he was very knowledgeable about the teachings of Jesus. He felt from his prayer and his study that there was nothing inherently wrong with eating pork or anything else that did not conform to a kosher diet. And that was based again on his understanding of scripture and understanding of his teachings of Jesus. So he was free to eat, okay? However, if we, or, or if another Jewish believer, was not certain that it was okay to do that, to, to kind of do away with some of those dietary restrictions, if they were not fully convinced in their own minds, then they shouldn't eat. And it says this, it talks about this in verse 23. So Romans 14, 23, it says, whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So if a Christian is unsure if it's okay to be doing something in, in one of these debatable areas, if they're uncertain if they can ignore certain dietary restrictions, then they shouldn't ignore them, okay? We must be fully convinced in our own minds. But also, which is important, we need to recognize that we will all stand before God for our actions, okay? It says this in Romans 14, verse 12. 
Each of us will give an account to ourselves to God. What this means is, is if someone's engaging in one of these arguable behaviors, whether on one side or the other, and maybe you don't really think they should be doing that thing. You know, for, according to your convictions, that just doesn't seem quite right. Well, they still have to answer to God one day, okay, for what they're doing. They, they still have to stand before God. So the pressure is actually off of you, and it really isn't proper or acceptable for you to be trying to place your convictions about the issue onto them. But it also means that you know, maybe you're doing something that other Christians have pointed out, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. You know, they're kind of applying their convictions on you. But that means that you too also have to stand before God one day. We all ultimately stand before God. God will make it abundantly clear at that point if what we were doing or are doing is sinful. And no matter, you know, no self-deception on our part or anybody else's part is really going to be an adequate excuse, okay? Ultimately, God is the judge. So we are not the ones who are called to pass judgment on, either about, on each other about these things. It is ultimately God. So we're not to pass judgment on our neighbor. We're to be fully convinced in our own minds from our understanding of Scripture and through prayer about what it is that we are called to be doing and ultimately recognizing that regardless of what we do or what somebody else does, God is the judge, and we will stand before God at the end of the day, and he will judge our actions. So let's bring this back to the situation that we talked about with Alice and Maggie and the, the head coverings that they were discussing being worn in church. So neither Alice or Maggie should be passing judgment on the other for what they think to be the, the correct understanding and perspective in this matter, if each is seeking to glorify God as they best understand that they should be. Instead of judging each other on whether or not they should be wearing head coverings, they should first be fully convinced in their own minds from their own understanding of Scripture, okay? And secondly, again, acknowledging that ultimately each of them independently will have to stand before God for their actions. And if things were done with proper intentions and understanding, well, God sees that. And, and maybe they're, again, they're arriving at opposite conclusions, but, but God knows the intentions of the heart and will accept those different ways of honoring and glorifying God. But if the intentions were wrong or done improperly or done through some sort of a self-deception so that you know, perhaps one of them could call something good which was not good, well, then God is going to see that as well. Okay, again, he's the ultimate judge in these matters, not us. So the first point is that love does no harm to a neighbor by not passing judgment on our neighbor. Point two, love does no harm to a neighbor by not placing a stumbling block in front of our neighbor. It says this in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So what this means is, is regardless of where you stand on one of these disputable questions or whatever it is, okay, you should not be letting your freedom or your restriction in these matters cause another believer to stumble into sin. So to bring up another example, if, if drinking, for example, or abstaining from alcohol 
is going to cause people you're with to stumble into sin, then you shouldn't consume or abstain depending on the situation. And, and really, depending on who you're with, it could be either the consumption or the abstention. Just an example from Scripture that, that speaks to this, if you look in Galatians 2, Peter ran into an issue where he was with some Jewish Christians, okay? And the, the Jews historically had engaged in this practice where they would separate themselves from Gentiles because Gentiles were unclean. Um, especially when they were eating, they would separate themselves and they would eat by themselves. And even though there were now Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, the, the Jewish Christians in this particular setting were continuing to separate themselves from the Gentile Christians. And so presumably because Peter didn't want to cause controversy amongst these, these Jewish believers, and you know, he didn't want to direct, directly address the, this whole issue where they were separating themselves, he um, joined them. He joined them in separating himself uh, with these other Jewish believers. But the problem occurred when Peter's rather conservative example resulted in other Jewish Christians thinking that they too need to separate themselves. So you had a bunch of other Jewish Christians now who are also separating themselves. And the result was, is, is Peter's modeling of this behavior, okay, of separation was actually resulting in essentially a, a yoke of legalism being placed on Jewish Christians. And this is something that obviously shouldn't have been there because it wasn't acceptable to be, be saying basically that these Jewish believers had to separate themselves from the Gentile believers. So in the drinking alcohol context where someone may be present who struggles with alcohol themselves, or maybe they've suffered under an alcohol abuser, it could be acceptable to, in those cases, to abstain from the consumption of alcohol. But conversely, strictly not drinking alcohol in any context across the board and without explanation could lead to someone thinking that to be a good Christian, you could never drink alcohol in any circumstances. And similar to Peter's situation, it may result in a yoke of legalism being placed on someone who does not need to bear it. So to not place a stumbling block in front of our neighbor, we need to consider our actions carefully and prayerfully and understand what the context is that we are going to be engaging or not engaging in some of our freedoms. And ultimately, this is because we do not want what we know to be good to be seen as evil. It says this at the end of uh, Romans 14.22, Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So sure, you might have the freedom, okay? But what does that do to your witness, to your leadership as a Christian, to just engage in that freedom without considering how it might affect others? How are you going to effectively teach or mentor somebody if they cannot get past that thing that you're doing because that's something that they personally struggle with? Instead, we should keep our freedoms between ourselves and God. And it says this in the first half of uh, verse 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. So looking at the situation with uh, Alice and Maggie, let's say that Alice is teaching a women's Sunday school class that Maggie is attending, okay? Now Alice is con fully convinced in her own mind that she does not need to wear a head covering, okay? That's her understanding from scripture. 
However, she doesn't want to have Maggie to have difficulty learning from her teaching if Maggie is constantly caught up in this belief or, or questioning Alice's sincerity to, to the faith or her obedience to God. So without making a point to the rest of the group, Alice decides that she's going to wear a hat in church every other week. And through prayer, she believes that in doing so, she'll be able to be more effectively speaking into Maggie's life. Now, this might seem to you to be totally absurd for, for Alice to do this. And you might be saying to yourself, you know, Maggie's wrong. You know, why should we cater to her misunderstanding? Well, what if the context changed, okay? Let's say Alice was on a mission trip, okay? And in that culture, you know, women who are Christian pretty much all wore head coverings in church. Would it make sense for her to wear a head covering in that context? More of you might say, sure, you know, that, that makes sense. But I do know for myself, being on different mission trips, that there are plenty of Americans who, also being on these trips, will kind of ignore these sorts of things because they're just not important to them. So they'll just sort of do whatever they want. What if Maggie, you know, with, with her head covering, she was teaching in a cultural context where um, wearing a head covering signified something else than what she is used to or what she's intending. What if she was on a mission trip? And what if only Muslim women in that culture wore a head covering, okay? And so by her wearing a head covering, she would be misconstrued as being a Muslim. You know, how is that going to affect her teaching? So these are all things that, you know, need to be taken account when we are looking at whether or not our actions are placing a stumbling block in front of somebody else. Now, these situations of head coverings and not head coverings are not something we normally, again, talk about very much in our cultural context here, but I want to take this in a direction that maybe seems a little bit more relatable. What do most people wear to church? You know, what do people wear to church here? Okay, some, some people dress up really nice, and other people dress very casually. Uh, for, for people who are dressing nice, it, you know, it could be a nice shirt, pants, or a dress. Other people might wear jeans, flip-flops, shorts, okay? And in ignoring any discussion about immodesty, so kind of keeping that off the table, there are, there are a group of people here, who are probably here present today, who, who dress up for service, and the reason that they dress up for service is because they want their dress to be an act of worship and respect and honor to God. You know, that is why they dress up, okay? But there may be a subset of that group who, while they dress up, may view those who do not dress up as perhaps being a little irreverent or perhaps not being as respectful of God as, as they should be. There are other people here, a group of people, who, who dress very casually, and, and some of them dress casually because they want to come to God as they truly are. They don't want to feel like they're putting on a mask. They don't want to feel like they're being fake. Um, they don't want to be distracted by trying to attend to an appearance and, and to look more put together than they really are. So they want to come as they truly are. That's why they dress down. But a subgroup of that people may very well look at people who dress up as perhaps being a little bit legalistic, or in some cases, even spiritually intimidating, because somebody's all dressed up really nice, they may seem super holy, and that, that could be very intimidating to somebody. 
So what does scripture speak about for these sorts of situations? Specifically in what we're to wear. Well, we know, again, love does no harm to a neighbor by not passing judgment on our neighbor, okay? And, and that's, that's probably the, the easy part. You know, you can say, okay, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. But really, we're to go further than this. And this is what the second point is getting at, because we're not to place a stumbling block in front of our neighbor. And to have what we know to be good to be viewed as being evil. Rather, to keep, again, our beliefs about these things between ourselves and God. So more than simply letting somebody do their thing, so somebody dress up, you dress up, I'll dress down, more than just stopping at that attitude, we need to consider how our freedoms are affecting each other. So when it comes to somebody like Alice and Maggie in this situation with their head coverings, that is why perhaps through prayer, they may arrive at some different conclusions and uh, behaviors in different circumstances of, you know, maybe they should modify what they're doing with wearing a hat or not wearing a hat because the idea is, again, to not place a stumbling block in front of the other person or in front of people who are around them. And that may mean in, in our context, if, if some people are dressing up and some people are dressing down, maybe the person who wears shorts to service might, on occasion, consider dressing up a little bit more so the person who wears a suit may not have, a, have, a, have difficulty following the example of that person or hearing from that person or uh, learning from them as, as an example of, of Christian service and worship and, and not having this stumbling block of, of appearance in front of them. So it's something that could be considered. It means also that the person who wears a suit may on occasion considering dressing down a little bit more so that the person who is coming to service and they're feeling like their life is a total wreck, okay, um, doesn't feel so alone when they, when they, if they go and they look at these, all these Christians who are dressed so nicely, who seem to have their lives all put together, how do they relate to that? How do they connect? You know, that may be very intimidating for that type of person. So, you know, again, something that, that could be done. And these are just examples, okay? I'm not I'm trying to say is that, that one size fits all. I'm not even saying these are the, the correct things that we should be doing, but these are the types of considerations we should be taking when we're seeking to love our neighbor by not uh, doing harm to our neighbor and specifically by not placing a stumbling block in front of our neighbor. It goes beyond just leaving each other alone. It really is a call to action on our part. So point one was to uh, love does no harm to a neighbor by not passing judgment on our neighbor. Point two was love does no harm to a neighbor by not placing a stumbling block in front of our neighbor. And the third point, love does no harm to a neighbor by not seeking to please ourselves. It says this in Romans 15 verse one. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So if point two more was not loving our neighbor because of perhaps a lack of, lack of discretion or maybe ignorance on our part and, and our actions were resulting in some sort of a you know, collateral damage of hurting people, okay? Point three more is about an intentional hurting people because we're just insisting on our own way, despite you know, how we know that our actions are going to affect others. And basically, we're just not caring all that much. So we should not seek to please only ourselves, 
And we should bear with the failings of the weak. And this is the first part of uh, Romans 15, verse 1 that I just read. So you may be convinced that your view is correct, okay? But that doesn't mean you should just bulldoze people with your position. They may have difficulty in this area, okay? You may, you know, love that dress, love those shorts, flip-flops, pants, whatever it is, okay? And you may know that, you know, this stuff comes across as, as perhaps being disrespectful or it's perceived in certain types of ways. But if your attitude is, you know, I, I want to wear these things, I have the freedom to wear them, and if anybody doesn't like it, they should just read their Bibles more, I mean... You probably need an attitude adjustment, all right? So, so we're to bear with the failings of the weak. And also with that, we should be seeking to please and to build up our neighbors for their own good, okay? It says this in verse 2 of chapter 15. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. So we should be deliberately seeking to help grow the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not just simply a matter of trying to not damage them, but seeking to actually help them grow in their relationship to Christ. So again, back to our example with Alice and Maggie, okay? This means more than just one or the other of them trying to you know, teach them what the, the correct understanding of scripture is, okay? But it's also a matter of seeking to encourage them and what they are doing well. So clearly both of them are trying to show their respect to God or, or respect to, to leadership in the church. So point that out. I mean, this is a matter and an example of a situation where they can be exhorted in that for what they're doing well, you know, recognizing these behaviors, praising these behaviors. Point out how the person who is wearing flip-flops assuming this is their intention, is, is showing their reverence and humility to God because they are coming to God how they are. You know, that's great. I mean, that's, that's fantastic that they want to approach God as they truly are. And the person who wants to dress up as a form of worship to God, praise them for that. I mean, that's, again, that's fantastic that people want to show up to church and show their worship and reverence to God by what they wear. So that we should be seeking to build each other up Praise them for what they're doing well, coming alongside them. And it's possible that in doing so, you might look a little bit foolish at times, okay? It says in Romans 15, verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So maybe you come across as being a little bit immature in your faith to other Christians because you're bearing in the weaknesses of somebody else. Alice, for example, if she's wearing a, a hat periodically in service specifically for the point of trying to be able to speak into Maggie's life, she might be looked at if she's kind of ignorant and legalistic in her own perspectives because she's doing that. If you decide that you're not going to drink alcohol on certain occasions, because again, you're seeking to build others up and to um, win them in their relationship to Christ or grow them in their relationship to Christ, you may be viewed as being sort of legalistic or immature in your faith. If um, you stand up for the person who's questioned because they dress down in service and they're just coming in as they are rolling off the streets, you know, people may look at you kind of weird because you're willing to stand up for that person. But Christ was sacrificial in his service, and this is our calling as well. So to recap here, 
there are things that Scripture talks about as being disputable. But when it comes to these things, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves because love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor by not passing judgment on our neighbor, by not placing a stumbling block in front of our neighbor, and by not seeking to please ourselves. And it does this by, first off, we need to be fully convinced in our own minds of our positions and our understanding of Scripture, recognizing that regardless of what we do, we are all going to be standing before God ultimately at the end of the day for our actions. We do not want what we know to be good to be seen as evil, so we need to keep that in, in mind and in account. And, and in the cases where it's applicable, we need to be keeping our freedoms between ourselves and God. But ultimately, bearing with the failings of the weak and seeking to please and build up our neighbors. So where do you struggle in these areas? What are some things that if you were to think about stuff, you think that maybe Christians should be doing or should not be doing? If you just kind of think about what typically bothers you, what are some things that you think other Christians really should or shouldn't be doing that a lot of them are? And I just want you to name some of those things in your mind. Just keep them in mind. What are some of those things? What are some things that other Christians have perhaps pointed out to you as some things that maybe you should be doing or shouldn't be doing? You know, what, what are some of those things? You know, think of some of those things in your mind. Because we all have something, okay? It might be in, in both sides, it might just be on one side, but th- there's always something there. And at times, we all have and continue to approach these types of issues poorly. We're not loving our neighbors as ourselves and how we react to these things. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna close us with a prayer, okay? And as we pray, I want you to keep in mind some of these things and seek what God is asking you to do with respect to them. And, and the, the prayer I'm gonna pray is, is my own paraphrase from 1 Corinthians. So I just ask that this would be your prayer to God today. So let's pray. Dear God, though I am free and belong to and am accountable to no one by what I do with my freedoms, Lord, we pray, I pray, that we become servants to everyone so that through humility I might draw as many people as possible towards you. To those I disagree with, I wish to minister to in their convictions so that they come to you. I seek to do all that is necessary to give up whatever freedoms that I must so that by all possible means, I might be an encouragement, not an obstacle for people to approach you. I wish to do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in the blessings of its message. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. It's a difficult message. Some things to think about. Um, If you would like some prayer, just encourage you to come either talk to myself or one of the elders after service. Um, If you are here today and maybe you don't know who Christ is, and maybe this all seems sort of foreign to you, um, Jesus was a real person. He's calling us to salvation. 
freedom from our sins. And um, if this is something new to you and you want to receive Jesus as your savior, as, as the, the man, the God, to, to rule and direct your life, then again, I would encourage you to come talk to myself or one of the elders and we can pray with you and guide you through that process. Um, so I just ask that you continue to keep these things, pray about these things this week. But with that, you're dismissed. Go and be the church.